0: Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. Once again, this month we draw inspiration from the current episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast. So, this time around, we're going to be looking at the science of Planet Hulk. Now, there's a lot going on in this story. So, we've got Hulk's powers in generals, we've got interspecies communication, we've got control disks that work on all species. We've got a number of different alien species sharing a different atmosphere. We've got the Hulk's blood working as the most effective fertilizer known to, well, anyone in the Marvel Universe. So how do we decide a topic? Well, we're actually going to be going with wormholes. This is a story that kicks off with the Hulk in a spaceship intended for one destination, getting sucked into a wormhole and getting spit out the other side. So when he comes out the other side, he ends up fighting in a gladiatorial arena for the entertainment of the masses, and there's quite the epic story that's discussed at length in the other podcast. What we're going to focus on are the wormholes themselves, are they viable, can they function, and does it work as represented in this comic story? So to begin with, we need to talk about what a wormhole is. A wormhole is a specific combination of two black holes. So to look at these, we have to go back actually to the area of Newtonian physics in the mid-1600s. It was Isaac Newton himself who, who recognized that light had a finite speed, and proposed dark objects whose escape velocity would be faster than light. Now, Every gravitational field has an escape velocity, it's the minimum speed one needs to obtain to escape the pull of gravity. So this idea he had of trapping light in these dark stars fell out of favour when the scientists of his era concluded that light was a wave, not a particle, and thus would be thought to be immune to gravity as a result of being massless. In 1905, Einstein published the Special Theory of Relativity, describing the mechanics of motion in the special case of a gravity-free system, and included the idea that the speed of light is the speed limit of the universe. It's the speed that nothing can exceed. That wasn't something he put in as an axiom, so he didn't decide the speed of light is the speed limit. He looked at a formula that was used to calculate the speed of light and realized it has no information about the observer, so therefore it doesn't matter who you are or how you're moving, two different observers will look at the same photon or particle of light and conclude that it's moving at the same speed. He followed that consequence through of this idea, and in the math, the speed limit came out. Now, in 1915, his general theory of relativity, which is a more general case where gravity is permitted, he managed to revive the idea of black holes when he proposed that massless waves would still be subject to gravity. Now, a lot of people thought the idea was ridiculous, and they were hoping to have the past 10 years of popularity of this special theory of relativity, this ridiculousness, just be thrown out and replaced with something much more sensible. So, hundreds of scientists actually took very careful observations of the solar eclipse that occurred on May 29th, 1919. And not only did they find that light that passed near the edge of the sun from distant stars deflect as the stars took up positions closer and closer to the sun, which supports Einstein's theory. That gravity affects light even though light has no mass, but they deflected by the exact amount predicted by general relativity and not by the amounts predicted by any of the other theories that allowed for the deflection of light. So as is often the case when some really strange counterintuitive concept comes out in science, the confirmation was done by people who did not want to believe it. They were going to try and prove it wrong and break the theory, only the evidence said otherwise, so they went with it and changed their minds. Now, in this case, the confirmation is specifically credited to astronomy giant Arthur Eddington and collaborator and sphere designer Freeman Dyson because they published their work first, but there were dozens of publications representing the work of hundreds of physicists that verified the same idea and had the same sort of numbers and the same sort of results. So the idea of Newton's dark stars, which would be named black holes in the late 1960s, was revived by this discovery, combined with the idea that the universe has a speed limit. So the core idea of a black hole is that gravity of this object is intense enough that nothing is fast enough to escape. And when you combine it with general relativity's new way of looking at space and time together, we can treat the entire universe as a surface. It's a four dimensional surface, which makes it difficult to picture, but it is a surface. You combine that with Hubble's 1929 discovery that the universe is expanding and the mathematical model of the universe that comes out treats this surface that we live on like the surface of an expanding four-dimensional balloon. Now, a gravitational field is mathematically equivalent to poking your finger into the side of that balloon, making a dent. A black hole is an infinitely long and deep dent, so you could treat it as having a hole in the bottom. Now, as Nathan Rosen, who formally published an idea in 1935, suggesting that two black holes that line up well enough on opposite sides of this four-dimensional balloon surface will form a closed tube, which he called a wormhole, That one could use to get from point A to point B seemingly faster than light. So you wouldn't be exceeding the speed of light of the space you're in, but you'd be taking a shortcut. So it's kind of like getting around a farmer's field by taking your vehicle off-road and cutting across the field instead of taking the roads around it. Your car doesn't actually go any faster, but you still get to your destination faster than you could have if you'd stayed on the conventional path of travel at or below the posted speed limit. Unfortunately, Further research into wormholes has shown that they are not practical enough to travel through. The problem is that moving through them disturbs the extremely precise and delicate balance needed to connect the two ends. They overlap coincidentally, not deliberately. Once anything with energy, including the Hulk, falls into a naturally occurring wormhole, then that tenuous connection is broken, and he would find himself not inside a wormhole, but inside the event horizon of a black hole. Now, physicist Kip Thorne, who I briefly met at a physics student conference in 1996 and was very impressed by, is one of several physicists who've shown that a piece of quote-unquote exotic matter put at both mouths of a wormhole would be able to keep it open while things pass through. So as the wormhole that the Hulk fell into in this story is artificial, that is a possibility. You'd still have the problem of escaping from the black hole on the other end, because it is two black holes connected but faster than Light Travel has been established in Marvel Comics long before Greg Pak was hired, and I won't begrudge a writer for using a tool that's already in the toolkit. The bigger issue is the exotic matter itself. Exotic matter is physicist code speak for matter that has properties we've never seen in any matter we've actually seen and observed and studied, and which we have absolutely no idea how to create. So this is entirely hypothetical, we have no idea how to even approach making this stuff or describing its internal structure, Now, in this story, the wormhole is created by an alien race with technology far exceeding that of the human species, so I'm going to give the science and Planet Hulk, and the wormhole in particular, a pass in this story as a conditional pass, just allowing for the possibility that the race that created this wormhole also figured out how to make this exotic matter that still eludes human scientists. So that's about all we have to say for this month. Please feel free to rate this and all the shows that you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast catcher you're using. It does help the shows get noticed if rating systems exist on that system. You can also feel free to share the show with friends who you think may enjoy it. And please join us again next month when we're talking about a topic that will be inspired by some element of Jim Steranko's run on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you for listening.